Okay, buckle up. This one's a doozy. Let me just say, I learned some things that blew my mind. I was a member of a program called Waste Warriors earlier this year, and Amy Jemez was my professor. She has a master's in public administration and sustainability. She is a recycling expert, and she is excited to share some ways that we can reduce our waste. And let me just tell you right now that if you are nervous that you were just going to feel guilty for using plastic, that is not what this episode is about. There are some good fixes in here for you, and I'll see you on the other side. Welcome to The Clean Fix, a podcast to help you make a natural shift towards cleaner living. From how to shop organic without breaking the bank to swapping toxic household products, we'll uncover simple hacks that produce a happier, healthier life. Let's dive into this. Okay. Well, it's kind of the situation that we're in, maybe say pre-COVID. Yeah. We shut down. Okay. So if we want to talk like say March 1st (laughs) and pre and prior to March 1st, you know, one of the things that I teach, I teach a class called the Waste Warriors and and that is a, a resident training in zero waste. Uh, it's about eight courses of zero waste. And there's many facets of waste. People just think of waste as this, that, what their trash is or the recycling bin is. But there are so many tentacles that connect us to waste. But the, the thing is, is that the consumer is so disconnected from what really goes on. When we are done with something, we discard it. And it's either going to be a trash or recycling item, typically. And we throw it away, as they say. Well, where is away? There is no such place as away. It's just away right. from you. Your material, your trash goes somewhere and it's become someone else's responsibility. And so there's a lot of, of uh, distance and, th- and stops along the way that our trash goes. And when we're dealing with plastic, it is a whole nother level because plastic has been with us for about 70 years or so. I think it's around 70. Um, but the use of plastic has grown so fast and just really ratcheted up in the last, say, 15 years, 15 or 20 years. Mm-hmm. And in fact, in the first like 50 years of, of plastic use in this country is equal to the last 15 years. Wow. Say that one more time. So the first 50 50 years of plastics is equal in use to the last 15 years or so. Wow. And that is because of, if you think about it, think about the products that weren't really around. You know, I'm, you know, 53 years old. I grew, I was a a child of the eighties, you know, water, selling water, buying water. That's like the silliest thing. Like we, I mean, there was Evian, the, the, you know, yuppie, um, you know, imported water from France. And, you know, that's if you were, you know, like a higher echelon person, but no one was buying water. I mean, that's just an absolutely made up, uh, product really. Um, and that wasn't something we had, but now think about it in the state of California, water is the number one beverage that is sold. So, and it's served in a plastic bottle. So the the amount of plastic that wasn't around in previous generations and even previous decades is now such a big part of our life. Everything is in it. And so the problem with plastic is multitudes of, of problems with it. First of all, it's a fossil fuel. It's a petroleum product. And, um, that alone has its own impacts, but uh, the amount of things that are in plastic is so large. I mean, try and go to the grocery store and find something that in plastic. It's right. a challenge, and especially in the 
you know, after March 1st in COVID time, I mean, I have been really challenged to find things that aren't in plastic since I'm not doing bulk anymore. It's been a real problem. So, so many things have moved over to plastic and most of it, here's the, the, the sad alert for your listeners is that most of the plastics that you're buying at the grocery store or most of the products in the packaging is not recyclable. So can we talk about this for a second? Because this was yeah, one of the biggest eye-opening things to me that, like you said, once your eyes are open, you can't close them again, that that adorable little triangle that we oh, have come to it's so uh, cute. know and love does not mean that your product is recycled. Mm-mm, it's not the green light. Yes. If you see a product uh, that, that we call it the chasing arrows. So if you think envision uh, what the recycling symbol looks like, right, which is also like equals eco-friendly, right? Um, it's actually, in the case of plastics, it is a resin identifier system. And a resin is plastic, right? Plastic resins. And no, not all plastics are the same, right? So there's different kinds of plastics. Yeah. So your plastic water bottle, for instance, is completely different than your Tide detergent bottle. And that to-go container or your strawberry container is a different kind of plastic as well. So all, there's all these different kinds of plastics. And so what happens is the manufacturers of these resins then, or the manufacturer of the packaging will then put a that chasing arrows identifier with a number in it. And so plastics are from the numbers one through seven, right? So number one is a water bottle. Number two, which is uh, a plastic called HDPE, that is your Tide bottle and so on. So it goes through one through seven. Um, So if a plastic is a number six, for instance, that does not mean, if it's got the chasing arrows, does not mean it's recyclable. In fact, a number six has never been recyclable and the oh reason why number now Shay, do you remember from my class what a number six I was don't. Ah, I have that was on my refrigerator I can't, in no way this is this I'm not judging I um but I I know because it's hard to remember all this crap but um uh, number six is uh P.S. You'll see sometimes it says P.S. or number six, and that is polystyrene. And for those listening at home, polystyrene, another like form of what you would know is styrofoam, right? Right. Although yes. it's not technically <laughs> styrofoam, but that's what polystyrene, a version of that is that. Um, well, plastic, there's a plastic version of polystyrene. So it's not just the stuff that you get in your Amazon package. It's also a plastic form of that. So a lot of times you'll see things that are your um, uh, your red party cups. I know it's going to break people's heart, but <laughs> those are number six, and they've never been recyclable. They I feel like fit. I maybe should have put a caution at the beginning of this episode. By the way, you're going to hate me <laughs> for exposing you to this. But I can hear I can hear the heads exploding all over. But unsubscribe. So, Yeah. So number six has never been recyclable, right? But it's got that chasing arrow recycling symbol on it. And all that's doing is signaling from the manufacturer to the recyclers, hey, this is what we made this plastic of. That's it. So mainly the ones that um, are recyclable means has a market because recycling isn't about saving the earth. When you put something in the blue bin, I mean, I'm not judging. I'm not saying anything. We're all in this together, but you're not eco-friendly. It's like the least things we should be doing is putting something that's recyclable in the recycling bin. But we also have the responsibility of knowing what's actually recyclable. What does the recycler or your city want in the bin? Not because what you feel should be in there. Um, So we need to make sure that the public starts to understand and find the information on what is truly recyclable. So like in the city of Burbank, the only, you know, remember I said plastics are one through seven. The only ones we accept are one, 
uh, number two, and number five. Mm -hmm. That means number three, number four, number six, and number seven are not recyclable. But people, you know, have had this conflicting message, recycle, you're saving the earth, put it in the blue bin, it's plastic, we take it. And it's very confusing to the public. And then you see the manufacturers then have it on their packaging. They'll say, please recycle. They'll say, recyclable, or they'll have the chasing arrows. And again, the public is left with very conflicting messages. And so they just feel like, well, I want to do my part, and I'm going to put that in the blue bin. But sometimes putting the wrong thing in is actually worse than actually also. just putting in the trash. Well, for instance, I work at a materials recovery facility. So where I work is where your trucks on trash day or recycling day, this is where the trucks come. This is where the first step in the away, right? When I said throw it away, if you're recycling it, it's going away from you. Um, it comes to our facility. It's a It's called a, a materials recovery facility. And so the trucks, you know, empty their contents and then it goes through our recycling line where we have live human beings and machinery that are going through trying to first pick out the stuff we don't want, the stuff that um, we call contaminants, right? Because it's not stuff that we can sell. And so there's no value for it. And so therefore it's, it's a problem. It's a trash item for us. So we go through all that and then we try and find the number ones and the number twos and the fives as best we can. The paper, the metal, all the different other things that are recyclable. But in the case of plastic, um, there's so much stuff that's going into our recycling bins that we get at our facility that we don't know what the heck to do with. I mean, toys are a real problem, you know, because parents are thinking, oh, I'll just put that in the recycling bin and it's got mixed materials and there's like, there's nothing we can do with it. It's a trash item for us. So if we're picking through plastic bags and poly, you know, and, and styrofoam items and things like that, that are coming through our materials recovery facility. It's also called a MRF, by the way. So if I say the word MRF, I mean materials recovery facility. The stuff's coming to us and it's trash. Where is it going to go? We can't sell it. It's trash. So now we have to pay and transport it to the landfill. So that item, that toy or that red solo party cup or whatever that you mistakenly thought could go in the recycling bin, it's going to go to our facility and we're going to have to sort that at $121 a ton and all the other things that's going to go into the, the impacts, the environmental, the trucking and the cost, and it's still going to go to the landfill. So it actually took a worse pass going through the recycling bin. Does that make sense? Yeah. So the important thing is to find out from whoever is your hauler, whether it's your city or whether you have a private company, you need to find out from them what do they want and more importantly, what don't they want? <laughs> and that's a much right. longer, that's sadly a much longer list of what don't we want. So there's a lot of things that, you know, that come through our facility that are just not recyclable. And some things are very unusual and some things are really common, like styrofoam and plastic bags and things like that. So let's touch on that just really quickly. Yeah. What are like your top couple of very common things that should not be in the recycling bin? I remember when we did the tour of the center, those plastic bags got stuck and you, you saw that to shut yeah. down the machine. So plastic yeah. bags for me, that was an easy one to say, okay, I'm not, if I yeah. have one, don't And that was, that was a great visual because you saw the impacts. You saw yeah. what a way does, yeah. um, you know, because people are, because actually the sad thing is, is plastic bags actually can be recyclable. 
It's just the way we collect them in, say, the blue bin curbside program where everything's mixed together, you can't separate those things easily. They're very airborne. They get out of the trucks. They cause litter, you know, in, in the community. But they also wrap around our, our machinery. And it's I kind of liken it for people who can't really visualize what we're talking about. If you found a plastic bag, a grocery bag on your kitchen floor, would you pick it up or would you get your vacuum cleaner out? Right. to suck it up right? because it's going to wrap around the vacuum cleaner, right? And yeah. so that is a problem. That's what happens now. Now amplify that by <laughs> that, you know, thousands and thousands of them coming right. in every day. It's and in, in all kinds of forms, not just grocery bags. It's shrink wrap. It's bubble wrap. It's all the stuff, especially, th- you know, all this online shopping we're doing now and all this stuff comes in bags. It's a real problem um, that we can't separate well enough it's, it's damaging and there's no value in the way we're separating it. So no buy, buyers want to buy it from us. But plastic bags are one of those things that you actually can recycle if you dropped it off at a specialty program. Um, there okay. is a, uh, a, a website called plasticbagrecycling.org. Or I think it's org.com, but you'll find it. It's actually through the American Chemistry Council. And it's got a map locator of places that will accept your plastic bags. So th- places like Target and Home Depot are, are know our national partners. So if you go to a Home Depot, you could bring your plastic bags all bagged into one bag and drop it off. And they've got oh. a recycling, they've got a recycling program. See, see, all's not lost. You just right. gotta know, right? But we don't ever want it in the in the bin because there's just no way you got it. We have to sequester it in order for it to have any value at all. It's gotta be with like-minded material. It can't be with your bottles and your, you know, plastic items and your you know, all the other stuff. But to answer your question of the stuff that we, the, the biggest things, I plastic bags, number one, by far, by far, by far. I'd say styrofoam is is way up there, another big problem. Um, we have also dangerous items. You'd be surprised at some of the stuff, and you probably saw this on the tour, um, needles, which we call sharps. So if you have to give yourself, or you know anybody that has to give themselves shots, like they're a diabetic, um, people are throwing that stuff in the recycling bin of all places. I mean, I, I could see it, even though it's illegal to put it in any of those bins, um, I could see them thinking the trash before the recycling bin. But for some reason, I think they think it's little tiny plastic. Um, and I think the other thing is, speaking of little tiny plastic, I think another rule of thumb that people re- really need to know is a small item, like say a bottle cap, for instance. Bottle caps, if they're tethered to the bottle, are recycle- recyclable because the bottle is, because that's going to go to the, to a place. It's going to go to whoever buys it. They're going to be able to process it, and they're very familiar with what to do with caps. If you just put your cap, though, in the recycling bin by itself, that's a problem because we cannot capture these little tiny plastics. So plastics really have to be at least, you know, two to five inches in diameter for us to be able to really even capture it. Doesn't mean it couldn't be recyclable. It's just no way in our or the way we collect that we could find it. And and I liken this from a visual to um, if you know those games for your kids that you try and it's a vending machine where you try and capture the stuffed animal with the right. big claw, right. the claw that comes down, and it seems like well, of course the claw is going to pick it up, and you find how loose it is, and you right. can't get the bat the bear. Well, it's the same thing with caps. We with our machinery, there's no way we can capture little tiny caps. And so what they do is they'll fall down into our filters, and they become a trash item so and they also can actually roll out of our facility and become a street litter issue so you know with caps and stuff like that always keep them on the bottle 
when it's plastic for sure. And that's why we, you know, the, we have the problem with straws, you know, um, I can't even tell you what kind of material straws made, the straws are made out of. Um, but the problem why straws aren't recyclable is they're too small. Gotcha. We can't capture even them. Even if there machine. was like a facility for them or something like that. If there was a program, like say every restaurant had a straw collection, right? And then they had some type of what we call reverse logistics where their trucks that come, you know, were coming in and they take their, that's, that's why, that's how plastic bags are able to be recycled through Lowe's and Target is because they have their trucks come in that are shipping, um, you know, bringing in their new goods. They take back the plastic bags and then that goes to a centralized system where they can capture all the bags. Uh, then they're able to sell it. That's great. If there was a cap program or straws or whatever, all these little plastics, if there was a, a collection program for that stuff, specialty, and there was a market and someone's willing to buy it, that solves all the problems, right? If someone's willing to buy something, there's no problem. <laughs> I think that's an interesting point right. that we should touch on just briefly is that you mentioned, you know, if you guys can't sell it at your birth that, you know, it doesn't go, you know, it goes to trash. I think it's important for people to know that this is what we think of as a recycling center as, as most civilians like myself know it, yeah. that's what a Murph is. And it is a business. Commodities. It's a business. It's not just about it's not altruistic. It's right. not, we're not saving the earth. We are trying to preserve resources from being wasted needlessly and put them back into productive use, which is through manufacturing. And the sad thing is recycled content which again is a commodity, like you said, and it's a really important piece. And this is probably, if I could get any message out to the public, I would say exactly what you were saying. It's a commodities driven business that has to have a buyer for the materials to justify all the effort that just went into sorting the stuff, right? And that is driven by demand. And if businesses and manufacturers are not using recycled content, then who the heck is recycling, right? I mean, you right. have to have someone buy it and use it and then the consumers have to buy recycled content products for this all to work because someone's got to buy it or nothing gets recycled. So, but then in the way things are right now, because our recycling infrastructure and market demand is not as robust as it should be, um, there we have to be a lot more selective. As I, as I said before, plastic bags, they're recyclable. They just don't make that much money. And so okay. for all the effort, we can't get our, our investment back. So, and it causes way more problems than it's worth. So, why, why do it? Whereas uh, your, you know, your detergent bottle has value. It actually is a plastic that's in demand and it's huge. It's big. We can capture it really easily, right? Our workers on the, the line can grab each bottle that's going by and we put that into a, 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 its own case because that's the money. We're looking for the money stuff primarily because again, it's a business. What has been really detrimental to recycling for the last 30 years are people in my position that work for cities or environmental groups that have made recycling out to be an environmental issue, that we are saving the earth mm -hmm. and we are doing our part. And it's really not exactly the way it should be framed. It should be framed as like, look, resources are precious and we need to all do our part to not waste needlessly because every time we we don't recycle something that could be put back in productive use we have to go into another third world country and and extract more and more resources and more you know going into more you know areas that are habitat for other things that help us in this world and so if we can use what we up what we have that's always an optimal thing but if but recycling has to compete with virgin 
commodities. So if you are a plastic, if you're looking to buy um, plastic content because you're a manufacturer and you're going to make plastic stuff or whatever, um, you can buy all my Tide bottles, right? Or you can go get the virgin stuff from the ground, from a refinery. What's easier? It's a lot easier to get the virgin stuff, right? So recycling has to be competitive in price as well as ease and quality. And so our the stuff that comes through our recycling, that's why I go back to that, that issue of contamination. The, the better the products that we get in, the cleaner and the better sorted, it's less work on our end to sort it. And that and then the bales, because we put these things in a, in a bale, I think like a big hay bale, it's all squished into a bale by material type. If we can sell that and it's quality material, then the buyers are like, yeah, we'll keep buying it. But if it's 30% of it's got trash in it, really, stuff that just because we couldn't sort it properly enough, there's too much contamination in it, that buyer is going to go, yeah, you can't, you guys can't get your act together. We're not going to buy from you anymore. And that's what China essentially did to the United States and other Western countries. They said, you guys are not sorting your stuff well enough. We're buying too much of your trash and now we're stuck holding the bag. We're not going to buy any of your plastic now. You know, that's what's happened. Right. So this is a business. And I think by having that environmental message made people feel like they had to get out of jail free card. I can go get my Starbucks now in my non-recyclable paper cup. And I'm going to put it in the blue bin because I've been told that's what I should do. And boy, am I an environmentalist. And here's the newsflash that that the um, Starbucks cup, like most coffee paper cups, have plastic inside them. The paper is not recyclable because of the plastic inside of it. So right. it's a trash item. Right. So, but look at what happened going back to my, you know, 80s child uh, scenario. We didn't really have coffee in to go. I mean, yes, there was a little bit of it. You always had a 7-Eleven. But for the most part, people had thermoses or made it or drank it at home or drank it at work. And so this idea that people go out for the experience of going out and getting your coffee is a huge issue. And Starbucks alone is 4 billion cups a year that are going through our waste stream used one time for what, you know, 15, whatever minutes, and it's not recyclable. But how many are going into the recycle bin because the public is confused and they want to do the right thing, but the right thing could also be maybe bringing a reusable cup or maybe making it at home or, you know what I mean? So it's, we want to have all this consumption and we're struggling with that. And so you've been told, hey, it's a, you're, you got a jail free card, put it in the blue bin, you're good. You've, you're an environmentalist, hooray for you. But again, the whole point of recycling is kind of like the last bastion, right? There's a saying, reduce, reuse, recycle. And I often say this to people because most people have heard that term, reduce, reuse, recycle. But I will ask the question, why is recycling listed third? Well, it's interesting that you say that because I remember the jingles as a, when I was a kid that recycle was the first. Correct. And it's, but that's not how it's listed. It's always, it's never recycle, reduce, reuse. It's always recycle or reduce, reuse, recycle. But recycling is the path of least resistance because you can still consume. You can still do all the things you want to do. And the only responsibility you have is make sure you put it in the bin. Right. But to me, that's a very false message because reduce and reuse 
are far more important. There is no, literally no um, impact in reduce. If you say, no, I don't need the straw, you know, if, you know, if I'm having water at a restaurant, I don't need the straw in there, right? So if I could say, no, 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 I don't need that straw. Well, now you've reduced the need for the, the, the straw. So then that restaurant gets the message and more and more people do what you just did, then they don't have to buy as many straws and then they're going to make less, right? So there's that, there's that trajectory that happens by reduce. Reuse, depending on how you reuse it, could be still a little bit of an impact, but recycling has a large impact. Granted, it is way better than trash. Absolutely. I'll never say recycling is bad, but it's not the end all be all that we've all been told. There's a lot of impact. It's a business. We're selective on what we get because we can only take what we can sell. And so therefore that leaves out a lot of products that are now in our consumer culture. Right. And we're going to have to start really understanding what is truly recyclable. Where can we reduce where we can? Where can we refuse, um, repurpose, whatever? Can we use up what we already have? But also learn why something is recyclable and why it's not. What does your city take? You know, be responsible in don't add to the problem just because you feel bad. And I've had people go, it makes me feel so bad putting in the trash. I'm like, well... It should feel bad putting in the trash. It should. It's because, you know what, we are going to have an impact. And it doesn't mean you're a bad person. It's just we need to be less cavalier about consuming things. We need to understand the responsibility we all have because we all consume. We all waste. But can we reduce that? Right. Can we and reuse it? What you were saying just a little bit ago, if it's actually going to be more harmful to have it go the recycling route because it is going to end up in the landfill because it's not recyclable. Yeah. We call that so, wish, we call that wish cycling. Right. Right. I have certainly done that. We've all done <laughs> it. Well, maybe, maybe they can do something with it. I don't know what I thought you guys could do with it, but, um, you know, if the, you know, the damage is already done, we have purchased something that can't be recycled. Putting it in the trash does not have to be, you know, you're, like you said, you're a horrible person at, at that point, that is the better of the two choices, right? If Correct. It really is. Okay. So Let's talk about this marketing situation as you mm. just brought up that, um, you know, it was shown like, okay, recycle so that you could feel good about yourself because you really and the man- bad about and, yourself. And let's not forget the manufacturers don't That's want you I'm- feeling bad about their products. So they want to make sure that recycling symbol is on there. So you think they're doing their part too. Well, so, right. Sorry. And this, this, like, you can be an environmentalist, you can do your part because really you shouldn't have done this, but really our percentage as a consumer is how much compared to the waste created by making, by the time it gets to us as a consumer. Right. There's all, um, a lot of impacts already there before you even touch it. Right. So you, you've spoken class a lot about um, the manufacturers wanting to put that burden on us as a consumer. Sure, certainly we have our part, we play our part and we can make a big impact. But can you speak to kind of that dynamic of this, you know, the, the crying Indian and this different, <laughs> uh, this, this kind of um, framing of it as just an us thing versus okay. the companies? Right. So there's, um, there is a thing that we say in our world of, of environmentalism and recycling is um, there's upstream and downstream. Okay. So upstream is the manufacturers, right? Upstream could be the extraction part of the, the raw materials, things like that. But it's all upstream is where it's made. Downstream is once it's consumed and discarded. That's downstream. 
And that's where I work. I'm in the downstream. So I'm there holding up the levee that's bursting every day of materials <laughs> that are coming down, you know, up from the upstream down to the downstream. How much and, do you guys get in a day in a, when you guys are open and operating? Uh, a day? We're a small facility, but we only take recyclables. We don't take mix. Like if you're in an apartment or a business where they they have it mixed together where it doesn't really feel like you're recycling, but you are because they're taking it to a facility that handles it, even though a lot of it doesn't get recycled because it's dirty, but we're a, what we call clean MRF, right? So we only take things that are in the quote unquote blue bin and we're getting about 90 to a hundred tons a day from the city of Burbank. It's probably about 60 tons of that. So there's some private haulers and some other cities that come and use our facility because there's only so many facilities in, in, you know, in LA County. So you got to take it somewhere. And if you're a city that doesn't have your own facility, like we do in Burbank, you got to beg, borrow and steal to go to somebody else's. So, um, so we do that, but actually the company that runs our facility, cause we're not running the actual day-to-day -day recycling line. We have a private company that does that. Um, the city is manages the whole thing, but the day-to-day -day operations is a company that we, that we contract out with and they ha were trying to, you know, maximize the facility. And so they had actually got some new accounts. And so they, they had actually gotten to like 150 tons a day up until wow. recently. Yeah. But wow. with COVID and things like that, things are changing all the time. So we're always in a state of flux. So, so to answer your question, we're anywhere from 90 to 150 tons a day. Um, it just depends on how long we can run our line and things like that. But, you know, we have people in close proximity to each other. So you have to be very cognizant of what you're doing now with, with COVID um, because p things can happen, you know? Right. <clears throat> so we're, we're trying to be cautious there, but um, so what was your question again? So, you're, yeah, so I was just, we were upstream, talking about right? we're you talking downstream, you're at the end and that's how yeah. much you're getting a day. So, right. okay. So that's upstream. just the, and that's just the materials, you know, and then of course not all of it gets recycled because there's can, the contaminants in there that we have to pick through. And so, and contaminants can be as high as like 20% um, of what we're getting. I mean, it's really high. Um, so then, but, but dealing with the upstream, I think, and this is the most important message because manufacturers and even consumers really, even though we're, we're, we're less guilty of this because we just don't know. Manufacturers know a lot more than they let on. But if for a manufacturer to do something, that's going to be cost to them. So I'll use the, the, the um, example of coffee. Coffee is, is one of those that, and I use it a lot in my outreach because it's so relatable, right? And it's such a huge industry now. But, you know, coffee back in the 80s, you know, typically came in a tin can, right? So it was a can. It was one material. We loved it because metal has weight. There's a market for metal. We get paid well, <clears throat> and it's easy to sort. We can identify it in our stream. Um, we've got magnets that can capture it. It's amazing. But metal is heavy. And if you're a manufacturer and you're shipping and you're trying to save money, you know, on the shipping cost of it, converting over to plastic container is much more advantageous for you, right? Well, some like a Folgers, old school brands, they've converted to plastic versions of a coffee can, right? They've got the screw on um, top and they've got the number two um, container and mm -hmm. things like that. So it's not a bad product. It's, you know, it's not as good as metal in my opinion, but it's, it's not bad. But most people don't buy coffee that way. Most people are buying it in these polymer bags. They're very pretty from a marketing standpoint, but those are not, sorry, newsflash to the audience. Those bags are not recyclable. So we went from an item that up until, you know, a few 10, 15 years ago was pretty recyclable. It was amazing. Made recyclers money to a material that is not recyclable at all. It's a trash item, right? All those bags 
those plastic bags uh, that, that coffee comes in are not recyclable because there's multiple layers of polymer and then it's got aluminum foil glued inside. <laughs> there's, I mean, there's nothing you can do with it, right? It's trash. Yeah. Oh. So that's a problem. Now, does the coffee manufacturers have any responsibility for the end of life of their products? Who's left holding the bag? Consumers who are confused and feel bad and they put it in the bin um, or it just goes into our trash system filling up our landfills. And then recyclers have to deal with it by plucking it out of their facilities, you know? Um, and so we've got a lot of problems with the upstream part of our consumption economy because the manufacturers have been fine letting the downstream, which is the, the government and taxpayers, uh, deal with it, deal with the problem. And they've gotten off pretty scot-free, but because the public is confused and largely doesn't know any of the things we've just talked about, where are the manufacturers ever going to be, be held responsible? They're not until we know more. And those eyes that are open, that are all listening to this, need to start help spreading these words and learning more because the information's out there. It's just, it's hard to find it when we have so many other things going on in our lives. But the more people learn, trust me, things change quickly. You know, and we're finding that with all kinds of social change that's happening right now, that there's been a lot of problems that have been festering for decades, if not centuries. And now with some new awareness and a, and a more focused public, because they don't got anything else to do, they must sit at their home, things are changing like quick, you know. So that can happen with manufacturing in our, in our, our consumption as well, once people have the information. The advantage with the manufacturers is that people don't know. Right. Well, so I don't want to leave everyone just completely overwhelmed because oh, this topic can be overwhelming. Yeah, I know, I know. Um, I'm Debbie Downer, but I try not to be. <laughs> well, there is that kind of um, give and take that you have to kind of really look at it to know what you're dealing with, but that is how it leaves an imprint on you so that you can change. I just do want to leave people with some options for yeah. changing. Um, so we talked about, you know, a couple of things not to put in recycling, the focus of if it's not recyclable, just put it in the trash. You've made your mark. Just keep going. Know uh, what they want. How do you find, because not everyone's going to be in this city. So how can people right. find where they. Again, whoever your waste hauler is, you get a bill from somebody, find out either through their website or contact them. Uh, if they don't have outreach materials already, learn what they want and what they don't. They'll tell you. And okay. So how do it. you go about this? How do you find balance or, or some strategy with this where you can do it in a budget, stay sane. You know, mm -hmm. sometimes you're making, we're able to make choices and sometimes right. it's not. Well, I mean, you can't sit there and say to people, you're not going to create waste. I am a zealot and OCD about this and I, and I live in this world and, you know, it's my, it's my, it's my life and I create waste guys. So we're going to have it. You know, if, if every, every, every human on this planet is going to have waste in some way. So you're going to have to accept that that's part of it. But where can, again, it's, we're looking for the balance of where can you reduce this, this need to have, cons you know, convenience. It's detrimental in the long run, but can we, you know, still have convenience and, and not have, you know, have to live in like a pioneer, <laughs> you right, know, right. churn our own butter or whatever. I mean, right. there is that balance, but you just have to, you just, it's power in information. But I'll tell you the biggest lift that you can do as a consumer, and this is easy, and this does not involve plastic packaging, so there's not as much of an excuse, is reducing your food waste. 
we really haven't talked about food waste today, but food waste is one of the biggest items that is going into our landfills. 20% of almost 20% in California of the landfill is made up of food waste. Now, some of that is the grocers and things like that, you know, the big, man, you know, wholesale retailers, stuff like that. But consumers are all part of that. And we've all done it. Most of the reason in our garbage smells is because food is in there, right? Um, so you could do things like backyard composting. But if you can't do that, because that's not going to be realistic for everybody, just be more cognizant of your food and, and realize it's a valuable resource that we take for such granted. But 40% of the food in this country that's grown is not eaten. 40% goes to waste through a litany of different mechanisms. The farm where we're picky, right? Because the, pro, you know, the produce has to be pretty and perfect. It's got to meet the aesthetics or the, the wholesale buyers won't take it. So a lot of uh, food is left on the farm uh, in the field. Then you've got the wholesale system, and there's a lot of food waste in there. As, as the you know food is is rotting and transported and sitting at the wholesale, then it goes to the grocery store, and the grocery stores over order. And then you and I buy food, the produce, and then it goes in bad in our refrigerator, or we waste some things on the produce that are actually useful, like stems and things like that could be used for stuff. And, or, you know, our plate waste, we took too much on our plate and we wasted it. So all along those steps, there's so much food that's being wasted. And if we could be more cognizant in our refrigerators and our own habits at home to really focus on food waste, that it's a valuable resource and wasting food is not okay. It's looked at as okay now. But here's the real gist of why it's a problem is not only is it 20% of what goes in landfills, so that's that's useless space that could be used for tr real trash. So it's filling up our landfills quicker. But the reason why your food stinks in your garbage is because it's breaking down in an in, in unnatural state, causing methane gas. Well, what do you think happens at a landfill? That everything in a landfill has to be compressed because you have to make room, right? You don't want to have idle space there because you have to make room and keep that landfill open as long as you can. So you're preserving airspace is what we say. Well, when you don't have oxygen, what do natural systems need? Oxygen, right? And so the microorganisms and the fungi and all the things that break down things in the natural process aren't natural in a landfill. So things don't break down quickly, but they sure do start to break down in an unnatural way, causing methane gas. So our landfills are one of the biggest emitters of greenhouse gas emissions. And people don't really make that connection because methane is 22 times more potent than carbon emissions. We hear about carbon all the time, but methane gas is huge. And so if we could reduce the amount of food material that's going into our trash, hence going to our landfill, that is an enormous, enormous step there. And that has nothing to do with plastic or, you know, we can't avoid it. And it becomes cognizant of just looking what's in your refrigerator, doing inventory, don't forget about stuff in the back, shopping smarter, um, using up what you have. And there's a wonderful website called savethefood.com. It's an amazing consumer-based website that gives you all kinds of amazing tips on how you can reduce food waste. Because the last thing I'll share with you on the issue of food is the average family of four wastes $1,500 a year on food that they bought that they did not eat. So whether you want to think about this from an environmental term or just, oh gosh, 
I've wasted $1,500 a year. Because if you lost $1,500 in the parking lot of a grocery store, you would be freaking out. And yet you're nickel and dimed every single day on the amount of food that we buy that we don't eat. And so I think, again, from an environmental and, of, of course, a, a cost basis, um, reducing your food waste is huge. And COVID has nothing to do with that. Right. No, that is so true. And I think what really did it for me is when you guys helped connect the dots that it is so connected to the environment, to our financial health, to social justice, you know, the communities that live near these landfills are, you know, disproportionately affected by it. And high asthma rates too from the emissions. So this has a multiplier effect. Everybody that's listening right now, that's understanding and knowing more than they did before they started listening, that's a multiplier effect because they're going to maybe change things in their household, raise their children a little bit differently. And that that's a generational thing, right? Um, maybe change their work or influence their workplaces. I mean, there's a lot of things that this thing has life beyond once you get this initial information and you come out of your fetal position and you're like, all right, now I know, now I'm going to change. Yes. Amy, thank you so much for being here. This is just a wealth of information. I hope it's been encouraging. I know it has been for me and it has inspired change in my life. So if anybody wants, has any follow-up questions, I'm always happy to help answer anything, um, but go, go to our Where It Goes site and the savethefood.com, and hopefully that's going to give you a little bit more insight so you don't feel overwhelmed and defeated. There's, there's, there's positivity in all of this. We're just, we're going to change, and that comes with knowledge. So thank you. Thank you so much for checking out The Clean Fix. If this is exciting and it's been helpful for you, take a second to go hit subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you soon.